Hi, and welcome to Classical Stuff You Should Know. We are a podcast about the classical world, classical philosophy, old books, old things, old people. We are only <laughs> moderately old ourselves. Wait, what? And we pretty much are just trying to bring classicism to you in a way that is digestible for the normal person, right? Because it, it should be, right? Yeah. They're classics for a reason, which, yeah. yeah. Like those digestive cookies. Digestive what? cookies? What's yeah, a digestive? What? Aren't all cookies digested? Yeah. Those digestive. You don't have digestive cookies in the states? Are they? Are what they for digestive? About? What do you? Yeah. Well, they were created back in like the 19th century England to sort of aid in digestion. They're, are they're you cookies. Serious? Yeah. Are they? Do they taste gross? Oh, uh, they cut. They're, okay. they're kind of bland. <laughs> they exist. <laughs> this doesn't. You guys don't know about this. It sounds no. like oh what happened was a baker made some terrible cookies. <laughs> I was uh, like, I'll just call these. The, they're good for digestion. Oh, okay. And then he sells his. No, bland this was cookies. back in the day of like making things that you thought had healthy reasons. So like hot chocolate back in the day was a medicinal drink. And then because they thought that the cocoa bean was, you know, medic- and then they didn't put any sugar in it. It tasted gross, but you, you, you drank it because they thought it was, it was healthy. Granola was invented in this way um, uh, to find like a super nutrient, like a super nutrient food for the workers. Um, they have this in, uh, in England, you know, and so digestive cookies were part of this. Welcome and to our new podcast, uh, food stuff. You yeah, should know, uh, featuring classical food, food stuff. <laughs> awesome. Anyway, Okay. Anyway, okay, my I'm, name I'm is AJ note. Hannenberg. I am joined by my two fellows, Graham Donaldson. Are you not going to say anything? Oh, I was going to say Thomas. Oh, Thomas oh, Never mind. Sorry. I'm Graham Donaldson. And Thomas Magby. I'm Thomas Magby. There you go. <laughs> and we are all three educators at a classical Christian school in Austin, Texas called Veritas Academy. And we all really like our jobs mm-hmm. and yep. we love teaching and we take it seriously. Yep. So this podcast isn't just about Speak teaching. For <laughs> It's it's about classicism in general. So you don't have to be a teacher to to enjoy this. You do have to be a student of life, though. Mm. Yep. Wow. Yeah. But like that's for everyone, right? Yeah. This, that's everyone right. should be a lifelong student. Someone talked about this last episode that the humanities are for humanizing us. So like, yeah, this is available to everyone. Yep. Isn't that cool? To make you free. As yeah. A human. That's why it's called the liberal. Yeah. yeah. Liberal arts. Yep. Okay. Hey, what are we talking about today? Yeah, that was a long intro. So today, <laughs> took like a minute. <laughs> we are jumping into another old Greek play. I told you, old people. We're all old about them. Love old, old and people. Magby will be leading us through it. It's the sequel to Oedipus, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Is it, are we turning into a Methuselah fan cast? Like we're just going to talk about old people? Like you're just talk about the oldest of people? Dude, did you? I wrote a poem about Methuselah once. What? Uh, no. When? Recently? No. In oh. in college. Okay. And I I went. This is wow. We are so off track. Look, that's what I'm here for. But he, did you know his dad was was one of the dudes that never died? He was taken up by huh. chariot into the skies. And so, as as Methuselah, put yourself in his place. Uh-huh. Your dad never died. He was taken up into the skies. Right around year 800, I'd be like, maybe that was supposed to happen to me, to and me. God just <laughs> forgot. <laughs> and I, at that point, you just got to be questioning how things are really supposed to shake down. <laughs> So I wrote a poem about it, and, and, I, and I think the premise, the conceit was that God had prepared a deep reservoir of mm. human experience, mm. and then he could go, and he, he came as a mosquito and then drank Methuselah's blood and, oh. like, absorbed the experience. I don't know. It was weird. It was when a weird you, poem. When are you going to read it on the podcast? Oh, it's weird. My poetry is weird, you yeah, guys. Can weird. we do a... We need a new poetry corner <laughs> with AJ. Can we... I wrote. Will we one. read our old bad teenage poetry. I would bring mine. Dude, I got my mine. old poetry was good. Oh, mine's oh, not. I still mine's think it was really good. bad. We will submit it to the readers or to the listeners for. I, I, I wrote one about 
a a guy who cremates animals and his daughter's like jumping on the horse bodies. I told you, it's weird. I write weird, weird stuff. You, yeah. Before we get into this, yes. a digestive biscuit, sometimes God. described as a sweet <laughs> meal biscuit, is a semi-sweet biscuit that originated in Scotland and is popular worldwide, except apparently here. Except for the popular, US. huh? Yeah. yeah. Anyway. It's uh, different definitions. Okay. Yeah. So we File are... File that under not crazy. I'm, well, I will not file it under there. Thank That's a small much. file. <laughs> I've been filing things in there and there's not many. Not much, yeah. Uh, yeah, so today we are continuing uh, in... Um, so a couple weeks ago we talked about Oedipus Rex. We're continuing with the second play in that trilogy, but not actually in the trilogy. If that sentence makes no sense to you, go back and listen to Oedipus Rex. Um, and I, my favorite thing about that episode might be, I think the file name for it is Oedipus Rex, W-R-E-C-K-S. <laughs> I was Oedipus imagining... Rex. <laughs> I, I was imagining him as a pro wrestler. <laughs> be awesome. My name is Oedipus. Rex. Oedipus Rex. And that's... I'm sorry. Yeah, no, that was awesome. Uh, so, yeah, today is going to be Oedipus at Colonus. So, uh, uh, as we talked about before, um, so there are three plays that are con- considered today the Theban cycle or the Oedipus cycle, but... For understandable reasons, it's more commonly called the Theban cycle. Um, so, uh, again, these three plays were not written together. They were so they were not submitted as one competitive um, cycle of plays, but they come from three separate three separate years. So, the same author, same author, all by Sophocles. Uh, so that's what ties them together. Why we can still call them the Theban cycle, the, the, the call the three plays the Theban cycle. But are they a trilogy like Star Wars? Like do they um, all play off each other? They kind of play off each other this this isn't a super important point but the order that i'm talking about them here is oedipus the king or oedipus rex rex means king this one is oedipus at colonus and then uh in you know, in the future we'll talk about antigone well the order that they were written we talked about this before is that antigone came first oedipus the king came second oedipus at colonus came last and in mm. fact was um after sophocles had died is when it was so they don't have like the big reveal I'm your father <laughs> and brother. <laughs> no, so I mean that would have happened. Yeah, so that happened again. Well, just like Darth Vader. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a much darker Star Wars at that point. Oh man, I don't like that. No, we're not all. even getting close to being relevant Sorry. here. Star Wars is old. Please, gentlemen, Twilight. I apologize. Can we be relevant somehow. Do we need to tie this into Twilight somehow? I sure hope not. Um, Isn't Twilight just like a Mormon allegory? Isn't that what? I guess it's. Um, I don't know. Didn't it start? Is that the one that started as Harry Potter fan fiction? No, 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 no. That was um, just vampires. Oh, it is no vampires. Idea. What's the? There was one that started as Harry Potter fan fiction. I thought this is gonna bother me. So I've heard that the we'll longest the fan fiction ever written was about Pokemon, and it's something like twenty thousand pages. Can we long. just read that on this podcast instead? I don't know why we are doing anything else. <laughs> <laughs> can we start? We need a fan cast about that. Well, okay, oh, we can have, we can do a little fan fiction thing at the end of the podcast. <laughs> the the Pokemon it, it took its inspiration from this play we're talking about. So that, uh, we're yes. setting it up. Yeah, is what yeah, we're doing. You. I appreciate this. this. Is really helpful. <laughs> you know that people are going to take that and tell their friends. That oh, the yeah, longest totally. fan fiction ever is based on Sophocles. Yeah, <laughs> let's do okay it. With that. Yeah. yeah, it's not true. But. Doing the Lord's work. Yeah. Um, so we're in banking all of a sudden. Yeah, take that golden <laughs> sack. Yeah, you sure showed them. Okay. So what is happening? Yeah, today? I, sorry, <laughs> we're ten minutes in. Anyway, no, we're rocking it. Okay. So Theban cycle. We're on the second of the three plays in the order that we're following here. So again, kind of going in. So we're following the order of the um, the play universe essentially. So Oedipus the King happens first. That's where. Oedipus finds out some bummer stuff about his life, namely that he killed a dude who turned out to be his dad and married a lady who turned out to be his mom. And um, he has kids who are both his 
uh, so daughters who are his sisters and then sons who are also his brothers. So it's kind of a bummer. So, uh, that ends poorly with, um, uh, Oedipus's wife, mother taking her life and Oedipus stabbing out his eyes and then leaving the city. So Graham also off of your last question, do the plays build off of each other? Kind of, but you'll, you notice differences when reading them because they're each part of a different cycle. Mm -hmm. There are inconsistencies between them. Namely, in Oedipus at Colonus, Antigone is much older than at the end of Oedipus Rex. So at Oedipus Rex, and this is actually in the stage directions. So I have this like, I'm curious if um, Robert Fagel's like added this as translator, but he is, he uh, specifies that the children are young when they walk out to see Oedipus off. But in Oedipus, Oedipus at Colonus, Antigone is much older. She, she's a woman. And, um, Oedipus talks about when he left as if his children were much older than they were in the play that we just read. So there's some differences between them, mm-hmm. but hmm. by and large, it's following, it's following the same characters, following the same family through this all. The other part that's kind of a bummer in reading in this order is that what passes for a happy ending happens in this play um, and not Antigone. So you kind of get your high point and then you come back down to earth in the next play. So we'll talk about that eventually. All right. So I'm just going to start going through it. And um, I have a bunch of, lines in here to read um and i guess we'll just go from there okay so th- again oedipus rex uh oedipus the king wrapped up with oedipus being kicked out of the city and self-kicked out if i recall that's fair so he uh, despairs of life right off the bat and then decides that um being leaving the city would be better than killing himself and so he leaves the city he will re-remember that as we go later into the play there's there's an interesting way to read this play where it's like he has become old and like because he's been focused on how angry he is for so long, he's just like changed the details of the story. But I don't think that was intended by Sophocles, but I wish it had been. Okay. So Oedipus and Antigone, um, roll up to, uh, the city Colonus, um, which is where the play gets its name Oedipus at Colonus. Do y'all know anything about Colonus? I, um, they made uh, sweet smelling perfume for men. I guess. I uh, for- wasn't that featured in one of the star Wars movies? <laughs> Attack of the, yeah, I'm Colonus. Colonus. Yeah, yeah, yeah I do. <laughs> it's a it. city in Germany. I need to work out a bedumped sound effect <laughs> that I can work into the podcast. Um, so, Colonus is a city that's about a mile from Athens. It's very close to Athens, and it is also where Sophocles is from. So, it's probably also an interesting thing about it. Um, there, Sophocles, Sophocles kind of invents this myth around Colonus, and I tried looking into like, did, does anyone else say these things about the city? And the answer is basically no. There's this prophecy that the play ends with about like the greatness of the city. And I don't think any of that ever happened. (laughs) So again, this is wishful thinking on Sophocles. Seriously. So it was, he wrote this play um, right before he died. And then again, like I said, it was um, performed after his death. So I don't know. There's something about him wanting his city to be remembered. Um, It's kind of sweet, right? Like the last thing he writes Mm -hmm. is kind of a love letter. But there are always, there's like songs in the 1950s talking about like how amazing Kansas city is. And you're like, well, Kansas, I don't feel like Kansas city ever really made it to the same heights as like Chicago and New York. Although they thought it was going to maybe like post-war. But if you are, if you are listeners from Kansas city, I'm so sorry. I sincerely apologize for being in Kansas city. Yeah. Yeah, I would write a love letter to my hometown of Spokane. Spokane, Washington. It has its quirks. It's got its potholes. It's got a lot of potholes, <laughs> a lot of them, yeah. but I don't know. There's something there's you, something wonderful about the people there and all of their. Can you write a poem about problems? 
Huh? Can, you write, can you write a poem about it? He probably already it? has when he was a teacher. I would definitely write a poem about it. And then read it on this podcast? Yeah. That is a good idea. Okay, so uh, main characters, Oedipus and Antigone. So again, Antigone is one of the daughters of Oedipus. Oedipus has two daughters, and we'll, they'll come in later. So Oedipus and Antigone are walking, and they come to Colonus, and they the play starts with them wandering into a grove that is dedicated to the Furies. Oh, Gentlemen, gosh. who are the Furies? There's three of them. Conscience okay. monsters. They are flying harpy witches, yes. and their job is to wreck your life yep. if you somehow cross. It's not just cross them, but it's if you do things cross that... Cross law. Cross like law. taboo. Yeah. So uh, they, yes. they come after... <clears throat> Orestes? Orestes. I was going to say Oedipus, but that's not the right name. They come after Orestes when he kills, kills his, his mother. Or kills his mom. Because he is supposed to avenge his father, and mm-hmm. then he must kill his mother, but that ends up being matricide, which is forbidden by the Furies, and mm-hmm. so they hound him, even though he was kind of in a catch-22. Yeah. That's right. Um, fun fact, our campus is getting uh, campus cats to help keep the uh, snake to help keep the snake and bug and scorpion population in check, and we should name them after the Furies. I think so, too. Everybody kind of wants to name them after the houses, and I think Fury names would mm-hmm. be fantastic. I think we're going to go through a number of cats on this campus oh, that. <laughs> um, because of vultures and, and coyotes and stuff, but uh, so maybe we can have both. <laughs> what we need to get are some of the really big cats. Those really yeah. mean ones. Like, yeah, the Furies. Are you talking about like a cougar? Like, like, no, like a, like a bobcat. Oh. Like if we could get a bunch of bobcats, they we train them. Yeah, but then then, then we, what do we need to train them for? We just need them to eat stuff. Well, then our kindergarten population will go down. We don't have to talk about our grammar school. Yeah, yeah. this is terrifying. <laughs> AJ, this is why I'm thankful that you teach and are not an administrator at the school. <laughs> your large, Ouch, your, man. Your large <clears throat> cat population. I got one word for you guys. <laughs> bobcats. <laughs> They're not that big. Okay. That was I don't think they week. would carry off kindergartners. They don't usually work as a team. Okay, great. Our bobcat expert. Um, okay, so well, you say that as if it's not true. <laughs> Are you actually? I live in the Northwest. I okay. know. I know bobcats. They no, exist up there. No judgment. Um, actually, lots of judgment. lots of judgment. I'm seeding. Hopefully, that makes it into the poem. Uh, oh, his angsty poem about how we don't take him seriously for his bobcat knowledge. <laughs> I'm, and this is the episode when I quit the podcast. <laughs> this is it for me, oh, folks. Man. Enjoy Good. the audio stylings of these two gentlemen. Yeah. Uh, that would be a super boring podcast. Please never leave. Okay, so uh, um, so um, I, I, I I write summaries of my of the things that I talk about, and we're one line into twenty. So, Sorry, yeah, no, no, we're fine. This is much more entertaining. The entire audience is going to be like, "Oh man, those first fifteen minutes were great," and then the last forty-five. Woo. Okay, so. Uh, Oedipus and Antigone make it to this grove of the Furies at Colonus. So you're talking about these Furies. They are they are not great characters. Um, um, often associated with revenge. So you're saying like someone will break a law or kill someone. The Furies come back to right that wrong, mm-hmm. right? To, to mm-hmm. make that right. So it's probably, it probably doesn't sound great for him to wander into this place. He, um, especially with his past. So yes. So things have already gone so badly for him. He straight up, he just, uh, he walks up into Colonus. He's just looking for a place to sit down and he, accidentally not i mean he intends to sit on the rock but he sits on a holy rock in this like grove dedicated to the furies which also feels like a bummer um so he gets called out immediately by the city by the people of colonus and they say hey please move off that rock um so this is when oedipus finds out that this place is dedicated to the furies and he uh starts getting really excited for reasons that aren't entirely clear at this point in the story um he will then, uh, a little while later, um, has not incredibly nice things to say. But so he finds out that this grove is dedicated to the Furies, and then he goes off and 
Um, after the people of Colonus leave, he's talking with Antigone about the Furies. You queens of terror, faces filled with dread. Since yours is the first holy ground where I've sat down to rest in this new land, I beg you, don't be harsh to Apollo, harsh to me. When the god cried out those lifelong prophecies of doom, he spoke of this as well, my promised rest, after hard years weathered. I will reach my goal, he said, my haven, where I find the ground of the awesome goddesses and make their home my home. There I will round the last turn in the torment of my life, a blessing to the hosts I live among, disaster to those who sent me, drove me out. And he warned me, the signs of all these things will come in earthquake, thunder perhaps, or the flashing bolt of Zeus. So when he's talking about the prophecy of Apollo, that's um, Oracle of Delphi, right? Not Apollo. Yep. Okay. So, and the prophecy he's referencing were the series of prophecies talked about in Oedipus Rex um, about him killing his dad and marrying his mom. But then it's kind of like a retcon at this point. He like adds in like, Oh, also there's this other prophecy about how I was going to die after I found a grove of furies. That's what he's saying right here. Okay. So, um, he is currently still hanging out on this rock that he's not supposed to be on. The old men of um, um, Colonus, I wrote Corinth on here, which is totally not right, but Colonus, the old men uh, show up and they coax him off of this rock. And <laughs> Come uh, here. Yeah, Come on. It's, Come I'm, on. If you were to read it, it's almost exactly that. And it's this whole back and forth of like, okay, I took a step. Is that enough? And the old people are like, no, take another step. And it's just back and forth for a long time. It's kind of funny. Um Oedipus, so far enough. Chorus, just enough. You hear me? Oedipus, now may I sit down? Chorus, move to the side a little. <laughs> You're right at the rock's edge. Now crouch down. It's very funny. Um, so they coax him off the rock. Is there a reason, is it ever told why the rock is sacred? Because it's dedicated to the Furies. Like it's, it's um, yeah, it's a grove for them and no one else is supposed to go into it. Gotcha. So no one else has been in this except for Oedipus who shows up and accidentally sits on it. So uh, old people are like, hey, come off that rock. Um, they say that they're going to help him. They're going to protect him. They want to find out what is going on with Oedipus. Well, they talk him off the rock and then almost immediately try to chase him out of the city. Once they figure out who he is. Jerks. Yeah. So, so they make this promise to protect him and watch out for him and then say, no, actually you should leave our city because you're cursed, which is not, that, that's a pretty good reaction. Like of all, is Oedipus the guy that you want coming to your city? Especially if like, Furies are going. If the gods are going to enact their vengeance on the unnatural acts of and the and the taboo acts of man, then like yeah, I wouldn't want Oedipus hanging around, right? Because the furies, from what I understand, are like they're all business, and you don't really you don't get to rationalize with the furies. No. Do hmm. what? The, there's there's a thing in ancient Greece where there was like a refuge city. Which Is was, that what's coming? In what city was that? I don't remember which city and I think there were a few of them, okay. but if you say murdered a friend and you could flee to one of these refuge cities and then you were safe. So Oedipus says that that city is Athens. So I don't know if that city changes over time. I think, I mean, I'm, I'm referencing way, way ancient. Oh, okay. So this, um, so the people, so like I just said, the people of Colonus are trying to tell him to leave the city. Uh, and Oedipus doesn't like that. So he says, um, then what's the good of glory, magnificent renown, if in its flow, it streams away to nothing. If Athens, Athens is that rock of reverence, all men say it is, the only city on earth to save the ruined stranger, the only one to protect him, give him shelter. Where are such kindness for me? First you raise me up from my seat in the grove, then you drive me off the land, terrified by my name alone. Surely not my physique, nor what I've done. 
So he's saying that Athens is supposed to be that place where he's safe to go, but even he is kicked out of the city that's supposed to be safe to the stranger. Mm -hmm. So is is it Athens that he's being kicked out of right now? So he's about a mile away from it. He is trying to get to Athens, but he is stopping at this grove. And they're sort of booting him out. Yeah, they're trying to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, That's rough. It is. You kind of feel bad for the guy. Yeah. Um, So uh, Oedipus Rex, Oedipus the King, the last play we read, it, you don't feel badly for Oedipus. He is murderous. He is angry. He brings his fate upon himself almost. Uh, again, it having been prophesied, prophesied and, and destined that he would do these things makes it hard to talk about because it's almost he didn't have a choice in those things. But the only reason that he fell into the prophecy was because he tried to run from it. So there's still agency involved in it. Yeah, fate is weird yeah. with the ancients. <clears throat> Did we talk about this last podcast? Only the a little. Iliad versus Odyssey view? Oh, no, we didn't say so that. So in the, in the Iliad, it seems like everyone is subject to fate. Mm-hmm. Zeus himself, everyone falls into it. Achilles falls into it after trying to resist it. He says, I'm going to go home. I'm going to leave. There's no point in doing this. And then the death of his friend pulls him back in and throws him into fate. Right? For Hector, it's the same thing. No one avoids it. And then... In the second book, in the Odyssey, it begins with a discussion of fate and, or at least how men view it. And Zeus is lamenting. He's like, look, all these people say that it's our fault, Mm -hmm. that the gods are responsible for all this stuff. But look down at, uh, oh man, what's his name? The guy who hung out with Clytemnestra. Mm -hmm. Aegisthus. Mm -hmm. So look at Aegisthus. He blames us for his problems when in reality, he is the one breaking all these laws. He made the choices. He did these things. It is it is on him and not us, right? Man is responsible for the choices they make. So there's this weird duality where man is completely subject to fate and so are the gods, but man also chooses the things. It's it's weirdly similar to what happens in Christianity. Oh, interesting. In terms of... In terms of we have human agency, yet... If there's you, also God's providence. There's yeah. also God's providence and foreknowledge. If you're interested in that topic, you can go back and re-listen to our Boethius podcast. That's a good yeah. one. I like that. It was, it was yeah. fun. And there's a live studio audience. So let me... It was so, short, it was, but it was good. It was good. It was. We only had 40 minutes. Let me contribute. He has a quote in here that ties in with that. So again, so in Oedipus the King, Oedipus is not treated um, charitably. It is his fault that these things happen. He brings it upon himself. It's about his choice. And then Oedipus, Oedipus at Colonus is reevaluating that idea. And this happens a few times. And this, I'll read this first one. We might come to the other two kind of major ones. So he just gives that thing where he says that Athens is supposed to accept me because I'm a stranger. Um, bad stuff has happened to me. I need safety. And Athens promises that. And then says to the um, the people there, you, you shouldn't be scared of me because like I'm an old dude and I'm not going to attack you. And then he says, since my acts, at least, were acts of suffering more than actions outright, but I cannot bear to tell you the whole story of mother and father. That's what makes you fear me, well I know. But no, no, how could you call me guilty? How, by nature? I was attacked. I struck in self-defense. Why, even if I had known what I was doing, how could that make me guilty? But in fact, knowing nothing, no, I went the way I went. But the one who made me suffer, they knew full well. They wanted to destroy me. And they referencing the gods, I believe, Mm -hmm. that the gods knew what he would do and they wanted to destroy him. So Oedipus Oedipus is saying here it's not his fault that he did the things that he did. I think that's a I just think that's a complicated statement because he did have intention. Mm -hmm. Um, He did choose to marry. He did choose to kill. Um, And but I mean, he was doing those things while also thinking he was avoiding the prophecy. Like the reason he left 
was it Corinth's hometown, was because he didn't want to fall into the killing your dad and marrying your mom. Right. So he left who he thought were his parents and went off and did something and killed somebody and then married somebody else. So I always have a lot more sympathy for Oedipus in this way, in the way it's portrayed here. Whereas in Oedipus Rex, where it, it says, where it's real clear that Oedipus is like, you know, he brought this on himself. He didn't really. I mean, at the end of the play, they're all wanting to willfully uh, ignore the uncomfortable reality. Like, I think uh, Yocasta is even like, stop asking questions. We can go back to normal. Let's just not talk about this. Right. Um, like, what's your plan there, lady? But, um, but so I, I have a lot more sympathy for Oedipus because, like, the Oracle kind of screwed him over. Right. You know, they said, don't do that. Here's, here's your future. Oh, crap. I don't want that future to happen, so I'm going to leave. And then it happens. But by leaving, you bring By leaving, it brings about. I mean, that's just... I love that, that uh, that is the trope in ancient Greece. It's like, you seek assurances about the future and want to know how your life is going to play out. Here it is. And then you want to control that. And then you end up bringing the thing upon yourself that you didn't want happening. I mean, there's... It's like a morality tale, right? Like, yeah. like don't don't seek outside the bounds of what human beings should know. Is it part of the necessity of tragedy that it's not entirely his fault? I or or does it does it need to be partially his fault for it to be tragedy? Uh, typically, your tragic hero will have some sort of flaw, mm. and it it doesn't necessarily have to be a flaw of anything except excessive virtue. In Julius Caesar. Brutus's flaw is a couplefold. One, he expects that all men will be noble, mm-hmm. even in the absence of, like in a, in a power vacuum, no one will make a grab for that power. He also underestimates his friend Antony because mm-hmm. Antony has certain vices and he thinks those vices are pervasive and prevent him from being a capable enemy. So he underestimates some people because of their vices and he thinks all men are more noble than they are. Mm-hmm. And so he is too good and that is his downfall. So, wow. That's a bummer for your yeah. vice to be an excess of virtue. I Which is what makes it so tragic is right. that he is such a good man that he fell. Um, yeah, a lot, a lot of tragic heroes will have some sort of, some sort of flaw, but I think often it's an excess of virtue. Yeah. It's hard to see where it's hard to see Oedipus having an excess of virtue. I mean, uh, maybe his, it's, it's not a tragedy unless he's good, right? right. If a, if a broken man falls, that is just a morality tale. Yeah. Or if a bad dude gets what's coming to him. Yeah. That's, not, that's a not a tragedy. That's justice. So then the tragic element is that so much of it is outside of his control mm-hmm. that he yeah. thought he was doing right when, at, Oh, so yeah, he did think he was doing right. Not even, but he thought he was doing right, but it's not like he was, no, he thought he was like saving Thebes right. and killing the Sphinx right. and getting what was due him, right. i.e. like this lady. Mm-hmm. The single queen lady. Um, yeah, so I guess he thought he was fulfilling the role that he should be as a capable ruling individual. Yeah. And then, so there is, gotcha. Yeah, I mean, seriously. <laughs> so there is some case to be made that it's outside of his control, that he intended well and went poorly, but not because he wanted it to go poorly. Mm-hmm. So he did, yeah, he did not set out to murder his dad and marry his mom. Yep. Okay, so we go from there. So he says that the actions he did were not his fault. He and Antigone and the people of Colonus keep talking. Eventually uh, his second daughter, uh, Ismene, uh, uh, catches up to the two of them. Ismene has been searching out uh, Oedipus and Antigone for, for a while now. Mm-hmm. Um, so Oedipus has been wandering for years at this point. Um, and Ismene had not been able to locate th- them, eventually does catch up to and talk to them. Oedipus has this really sweet moment where he praises his daughters as being, um, 
well, the sweet part is that he's praising his daughters. The bummer part is that he talks about how bad his sons are. Um, but uh, yeah, Oedipus has, again, these two daughters and two sons. The two sons, instead of seeking out uh, their father to help him bring him back, they are currently fighting over the kingdom, currently fighting over Thebes, while the two daughters are trying to help their father. So Antigone, who has kind of forsaken the wealth that would have been available to her, she'd stayed in Thebes um, in a position of authority. And then Ismene, who is also chasing after to try and uh, tell her dad what's up. So Ismene catches up. Oedipus raises the daughters. Uh, there's this whole story about how, what I just said, that Oedipus's two sons, uh, Polynices and Ateocles, uh, uh, are fighting for control of Thebes. So originally the power had been passed to Creon, and that's a thing that we saw happen at the end of the last play. Mm. But then the two sons are not actually okay with not being in control, and so they try and take it from Creon, and it goes poorly. I mean, they are fatherless. Yeah. Um, this is another, it just popped into my mind right now. I'd have to go through and really look at it. But there seems to be also the trope in a lot of classical literature, and not just in ancient Greece, the idea that like it is very hard for men to be virtuous on their own. Like you often see these women characters who are in dire straits, who are in rough places, who maybe don't have good role model figures in their life, and yet they still attain a certain kind of virtue. These Mm -hmm. two daughters, I think, is a great example of that. Whereas with the sons, it's very rare that you would have the son who grows up outside of the of the um, sort of the like Telemachus in in the Odyssey? Like everyone's worried about Telemachus because he doesn't have his dad because he doesn't have a, a good male authority figure and he's going to go spin off into violence or into like being a bad dude bro like the suitors. Um, but there seems to be, and I think this is kind of maybe um, an interesting nature into men and women is that like. Women seem to be morally stronger when there's, or not not because there's less, but they, they, the characters often still seem to retain goodness, nurturing, and virtue, even when everything is crumbling around them. But often the men aren't. Uh, they don't retain their goodness uh, when things are crumbling around them. They become part of the crumble. Hmm. Um, I, I'm thinking of a couple of Shakespeare plays and a couple of uh, examples of that in Shakespeare. I mean... Hamlet? Yeah. 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 Um, and um, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, I, that's wonder, something wonder I haven't really that. developed yeah. in my own mind. But uh, but the fact that like it's his daughters that come out and want to save and help him, whereas his sons are spinning off into power games, yeah. fits. Yeah. It would be a little stranger if like the sons were coming off and they wanted to help, and the, like, the daughters were home scheming and playing power games. Like that that seems less. Um, I'm not sure that's so much a commentary on differences in the sexes as it is contextual to their time period. The The power was available to the men. Yeah. It was not available mm-hmm. to the women. And so because the men are concerned with where the power is going and actually have the option to go for it, their morals are put in that danger. Yeah. Whereas the same is not true of the women. Yeah. They, they don't have the temptation of power because they can never have it. Mm-hmm. And so they focus themselves on things that matter. You're right. Like in King Lear... Yeah. The women, the, the daughters can can have can rule, and it's not taboo for them to rule, and so they fall just into as many power games as mm. as men do. So anyway, yeah, I think that's a good point, Hamburg. I think in King Lear is a helpful thing to keep in mind as we keep going through this play. Um, I found comparisons a few times to those. Now again, kind of a foil in that the two daughters here are both great, but we'll come to one of the sons who shows up later. Um, so again, these two sons of Oedipus are fighting for control of Thebes, and there has been a new prophecy. Uh, 
they just keep popping just, up all oh, over man. the place. Yeah, it's kind New of a prophecy. I know it's a bummer. Every time one one comes up, he's Oedipus just has to go. Oh, <laughs> oh come on, dang it! Well, this one, gosh this one, darn it! This one is actually a bummer because <laughs> this prophecy says that um, wherever Oedipus dies and is buried, that person will have a blessing. That person will win a war. <laughs> so, oh no! <laughs> that is such a bummer for him. <laughs> so um, does everybody know about this? Yeah. So uh, and so Oedipus is just being hunted. Yeah, kind of. So Oedipus asks that exact same question: Do my two sons know about this? The answer is yes. <laughs> and then one of those sons will then come to him later and say please come with me and it's like what, what you doing there buddy um but <laughs> do you, you made you some candy? dinner yeah <laughs> so the other person who knows about this is creon so creon also knows that whoever oedipus dies near will have the blessing and will win a war so creon wants to desecrate his body after death so that neither of the two sons will get the blessing anyway this is a fun play okay so that happens it's pretty messed up man it's well just why did you why did you bring this play to us it's, pretty... it's famous and it matters and reasons <laughs> for stuff okay so he finds all the stuff out and he's kind of bummed about it. And so that happens. Well, then the, the townspeople uh, of Colonus then bring up, Hey, uh, don't forget you sat on our Holy rock. So you need to like make that right. So he's given this list of things to do to um, basically make amends for the, um, the desecration of the, uh, of the grove where he stepped into before. And I think this is an interesting moment. So he is not able to do this himself because he is a blind man and he's very old and frail. And so he sends Ismene, one of his daughters to go and make these amends for him. But I think there is something more happening here where we talked about how the furies are important to, normally as a symbol of revenge, but this process is him making amends with that force of revenge. And it's not him that he's not able to do it for himself, but someone is stepping in to make those amends for him. Um, but I think this is where the curse of Oedipus is broken. Hmm. Um, that um, someone loved him enough to to stand in his place to do thing. that for him, yeah, yeah. and that it's revenge that's um, made amends for. And again, that the inciting incident of him needing this ceremonial process is something he didn't plan on, which is kind of the story of his whole life. Mm-hmm. That he never intended to do the things that he did, but he still did them, and there was a. Um, a price that needed to be paid for that, but that price had to be paid by one of his daughters. Who? What is the him. price? What does he have? To, what does she have to do? Um, they walk through. It's like you have to pour water into bowls. Like there's no. Um, she doesn't have to like harm herself in any way. But um, essentially, it's a. Um, yeah, it's water into bowls. There's cotton you have to put around one of them, and then there's this whole weird thing about like which ones get wine and which ones don't. Mm. So it's there's not there's I did not see any like significance that jumped off the page sure. in that part but oh, you guys have never done the water wine cotton <laughs> bowls like, it's, it's the ritual and it's like it's I, so I had to read it a couple times because it's like that doesn't make any sense um i do it once a month just but, to be sure it just gets all the, the weird heebie-jeebies out of the house. Out of the system, yeah. yeah, yeah it's kind of like a cleanse. It's, fun, like, it's, like, a whole, it's like a whole 30. Yeah, yeah. I like this. Yeah. <laughs> like a whole 30? So, so yeah. Th- my, my theory is that this is the moment where Oedipus's problems end. Uh, some bad things happen after this, but they're resolved very quickly. So we'll talk about that anyway. So this is also a reason. So he has been hounded by the gods forever. And essentially this is also the moment where that, where him being hounded by the gods ends. And then some problems with man still continue. So wait, the bull ritual is where his problems with the gods ends. Yes. So his, his seems like a weird spot for that to, it, uh, well, some more things happen. So he, he gets a blessing from the furies that happens later. Um, 
And in a weird way, the prophecy about him dying lifts him up. Like it now matters where he dies. And so totally. he's no longer allowed to just wander al- around. And so there are people who want his like, attention. Hey man, why don't you uh, yeah, hang out over, this over way. here? Yeah. Which is also a bummer in its own way. Um, so I'll get really suspicious of any dinner parties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, uh, can you taste this chicken first? <laughs> Third chief. So uh, Ismin goes off to go and accomplish this uh, ritual for him. He does. He has another moment where he defends himself against the people of Corinth uh, of Colonus. He says that again, things were not his fault. So I'll just read these two because they're very short. But when to defend himself in regards to marrying his mom, um, the chorus is telling him, "You've done these horrible things." Chorus says, "What you've done, Oedipus? No, not done." Chorus, "What then, Oedipus? Received." Received as a gift, a prize to break the heart. Oh, would to God I'd never served my city, never won the prize they handed up to me. So The prize being the wife? The wife, yeah. So again, he saves the city of Thebes. Um, They rejoice and they give him a bride so that the king will now have a queen. And then uh, to defend his the killing his father. I'll tell you the man I murdered, he'd have murdered me. I am innocent, pure in the eyes of the law, blind, unknowing. I, I came to this. I mean, this is why you got to date first, right? You got to get to know each other. You can't just, you can't just jump into marriage. Yeah. Yeah, It's a necessity. Because it might Mm -hmm. be your mom. Got to try it out. Um, (laughs) Wait, what's your last name? (laughs) (laughs) There's a problem in, um, Iceland? Iceland. Yes, it yeah, is. They a, have an app. There's an app that mm-hmm. will tell you if you're related to them because there's, there's only, only like seven. I thought there's like a really small number of. There's only 300,000 people on oh, the yeah, entire sure. island. But like and there's a small number of like um, families. Yeah. And so. So there's an app. You can punch your name into yeah. it. And I think you have to put your like your parents names into it because a lot of people have similar last names. And the way that their last name goes down is like it's your. F- so our family is originally from Iceland. So I know a little bit about this. So like um, my dad's name is Terry. So my last name would be Terrison because I am the son of Terry. Mm-hmm. My name is Graham. My kid's last name would be Grameson. And then my, uh, and then grandson. Um, my, my sister would be uh, Terry's daughter. And that would be her last name. So mm-hmm. you have these names that are not these like longstanding family names. So it gets a little confusing as you go back. But yes, they have an app so that you don't, if you're in a bar and you like meet someone, you're like, hey, you're cute. Uh, you're not accidentally marrying your co- or dating your cousin. Probably a good thing, I think. Yeah. That's a good app. Did mm-hmm. I learn? Yeah, it's a yeah, good, good app. Yeah. Um, to breeze through the rest of it. So Oedipus, again, is defending himself uh, that he was a victim of fate and it wasn't his fault that he did the stuff he did, which, again, is complicated. And I think you can disagree with that, and that's fine. But I appreciate that this play is presenting kind of the opposite argument. Sophocles is essentially arguing with himself one play later, which is kind of interesting. So uh, then the king of Colonus appears, that is Theseus. Theseus is this noble man who uh, agrees to help out Oedipus. Oh, he's the king of Colonus? Yes. Theseus. Okay. Doesn't he, isn't he Thebes later? Might be. Anyway. Uh, There's an ending that's kind of ambiguous where I kind of, I need to read Antigone because it's been a long time, but like uh, Theseus is kind of getting friendly with the daughters. So I don't know if something Mm, happens mm -hmm, there. mm -hmm. Um, So uh, Theseus appears and he's great. uh, King of Colonus. Um, he, uh, uh, Oedipus offers to give, uh, Theseus a gift, but he won't tell him what that gift is. Um, just in the context, Dying yeah, next in the context it's his death. <laughs> yeah, straight up. Um, so anyway, that happens later, but he's, he says, Hey, I'll give you a gift. And Theseus is like, okay, great. Nice to meet you. Like it's this very strange interaction where Theseus doesn't know what's happening. Creon then appears. He comes to Colonus because he also has been searching for Oedipus. Um, Creon wants Oedipus to come with him, but Oedipus refuses. Well, it turns out that Creon has stolen um, Ismene. And oh, yeah, so she had accomplished the 
kind of cleansing the, the, the bowl mm, wine yeah. cotton ritual she went bowling yes yeah, she went bowling she had accomplished that and then on her way back got picked up by creon so creon has this mean and then um says hey i'm gonna take antigone and then does take antigone uh, but the chorus is there the whole time the chorus that had promised to protect oedipus no matter what like stands by they're, they're, they are the old men of Colonus, and so they might not have been able to defend. Anyway, it's another funny scene where they're like, hey, stop it. But Creon just takes Antigone. Uh, then Creon attempts to take Oedipus as well because he's an old dude who can't defend himself. But Theseus shows up in time to protect Oedipus. Uh, Theseus sends his guard to go and retrieve Antigone and Ismene. And in just very short order, they come back. So there's kind of like, I don't know, they resolve that one very quickly. Um, Oedipus defends himself again. I'm not going to read it, but he again talks about how it's not his fault. The one I I just lied to you. I'm actually going to read part of it because he says that he is a victim, but that Creon is actively a bad dude. Um, at least I knew one. Yeah. Um, she was my mother. Yes. She bore me. Oh, the horror. I knew nothing. She knew nothing. And once she'd born me, then she bore my children, her disgrace. But at least I know one thing. You slander her and me of your own free will, but I made her my bride against my will. I repeat this to the, uh, to the world against my will. No, I'll not be branded guilty. Not in that marriage, not in the murder of my father. All those crimes you heap on me relentlessly harrowing my heart. So that's an interesting, uh, distinction he draws between the two. He's a victim. Creon's actually like actively choosing bad stuff because there hasn't been a prophecy about Creon being Hmm. a jerk. Hmm. Okay, so Antigone and Ismene return. We just said that. And then Polynices comes into town. So again, this is um, Oedipus's older son, who I guess by rights kind of should be in control of Thebes. Again, Creon should be in control, but the person, the son of Oedipus that has the best claim is Polynices. He comes to town and... I feel like primogenitor gets all confused when it's like a brother son. <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. Oh, I didn't even think about that. So then wouldn't Oedipus then have like right again because he's the older brother? Yeah, exactly. yeah. So he exiles himself and then comes right back. Uh, I didn't think about that. You're totally right. Um, so the father has left and right falls to the son. It's me. Who is the same guy. Yeah. <laughs> this is, this play is messed up yep. in a lot of ways. So he comes to town. Oedipus does not want to talk to his son because... He says that his son stood by while he was being kicked out of the city. Hmm. Well, if this were the continuation of the of Oedipus the king, that wouldn't be true because he was like seven years old. Mm-hmm. Like, he didn't stand by. But again, because we've retconned and changed the details, um, Polynices was older. You keep, what, you keep using that word. What is that word? Oh, yeah. Uh, it's retcon is when in a... so Retroactive conceit? Is oh. that what it stands for? I don't know. It's like a comic book term, which oh. probably doesn't help for a... Uh, Go back and change canon. A piece of new information that imposes a different interpretation on previously described events. Ah. So if a future, so if you're watching a TV show and a future episode um, reinterprets something that happened earlier, mm. so you wouldn't, there's no way you would have known that watching the TV show through the first time, but a later one tells you how you should have seen that or changes a detail, um, something gotcha. like that. So they change details in a later version of it. But it's, I mean, these myths don't have only one version of them. We talked about last time that there's a Homeric version also. Retroactive continuity. Continuity. Yep. There you go. Um, Aeschylus has a, a a play that fits in this. I think his is Seven Against Thebes. Um, so Polynices comes and is begging for Oedipus to come with him because Polynices has been kicked out by his younger brother. He wants to um, attack the city and take it back over, but he wants the blessing of his father because he thinks otherwise he will uh, die and lose. So Oedipus... Um, um, rejects that offer and says he won't come with him 
and he then implores his son to die. It's a bummer of a scene where he talks about his son being um, unfaithful and where the son could have helped him before and did nothing now wants something from his father. Mm. And so he refuses it. He refuses um, to offer his help. Um, the only note I wrote on here is Polynices's request goes poorly, which is accurate. Um, then after that, Polynices leaves to um, attack Thebes to try and take it back over. Antigone, his sister, tries to talk him out of it, but um, Polynices says that he won't be talked out of it and that he will. Um, he thinks he's going to his death, and he will, we, he willingly goes toward it because he views this as his fate even though no prophecy has been thrown out. So the, the line starts Antigone. So my brother, your heart is set on this returning to Thebes to fight Polynices. Yes. Don't hold me back. The road is waiting. I must travel down that road doomed by fate and the curses of my father, all his swarming furies. But the two of you, God bless you on your way. If you carry out my wishes, once I'm dead, you cannot help me anymore in life. Now let me go. And then he leaves after that. It's very sad. Hmm. Um, okay, so Polynices then leaves, then then the weather changes and thunder starts up. If you remember from the first quote of this play, he said that that was a piece of what Apollo had, or uh, the oracle had prophesied that thunder would accompany his death. Um, mm-hmm. So that thunder then begins. Then Oedipus talks more about how his death will give victory to a defending army at that location. So at Colonus, he is saying there will be a fight and uh, Colonus will be a smaller army, but they will win against Thebes. Hmm. Um, there's a part earlier where Theseus is like, you know, thanks for the offer, but like I'm allies with Thebes. Like, why would I need that? Um, and maybe I'll read, I'll read that last part at the end, maybe because it's very good. So this, now the thunder is beginning. Oedipus realizes that this is the end of his life. He is suddenly reinvigorated and is able to stand up on his own. It's like he is reverted back to his character at the beginning of Oedipus, the King Oedipus, the King, he walks out in strength. He has the authority of his position. Um, he is looked up to by his people. Um, he has returned to that state briefly. Um, he then leads Theseus and his daughters to the spot that I just talked about of where there will one day be a fight at Colonus he leads them to that place and then he sends everyone away except for Theseus so that only Theseus knows where this place is. Mm. And then the sons of Theseus will be told this place, but it's a secret location where future Kings of Colonus will lead incoming armies to. Um, so Theseus gets the, gets the blessing. He gets the blessing. He gets the blessing. He accepted Oedipus into Colonus, even when, even knowing who Oedipus was. I'm pretty sure he marries one of the daughters. This, this does sound pretty familiar. Yeah. And if, if, when, if so, we'll talk about it in the next one, which mm-hmm. is Antigone. Hmm. Um, so um, all, everything is happening off stage. We don't actually see the death of Oedipus uh, first off because it's off stage, but even the characters don't except for Theseus. Theseus. Maybe um, it's described as so Theseus and Oedipus walk off um, there's a loud noise. Everyone turns. Theseus has his eyes covered and Oedipus is just gone. Um, so no one sees where his death is. No one sees where his body is. Um, and no one sees where that secret location is. But, I'm not saying it's aliens, <laughs> but, <laughs> it's, but it's aliens. And they hear, they hear the gods speaking also. So it could Ooh. be a situation where he's been actually taken. Crazy. Wait, so while all of a sudden the gods doing like weird apotheosis on Oedipus, Oedipus, when Oedipus did, you know, sort of had this terrible, terrible life. Yeah. So, 
in reimagining the story as him being a victim, mm. it's no longer his fault mm-hmm. that those things happened. They were forced upon him and he, he was a victim of that fate. So I think that's one piece of it, that there's no punishment to be meted out because he was essentially a plaything of the gods mm-hmm. that they wanted him to be destroyed. And so he was destroyed. Um, and then also I think it matters y'all that, that scene where there's like the reconciliation with the furies, it's like six pages. Like it's, mm-hmm. it goes on and on and on about what needs to happen for him sitting on a bad rock to be reconciled. So there's, there is something significant happening in that moment also, mm. um, that I think he is set right with revenge. He is set right with the furies. So it's not just the rock. It's probably this whole yep. broken relationship between Oedipus and the yes. gods and, mm-hmm. and, uh, needing to set that that right again has been reconciled mm-hmm. yep. and then when it's reconciled like because Oedipus sort of like relived the left rest of his life middle fingers in the air to right. the gods it would be a very different kind of ending but yep. maybe this yeah. is the gods way of saying like all right eat a real rough go now you're we're going to turn your life into some kind of future blessing for others yes. theseus yeah um yeah which then gets to be how he's remembered which it's kind of cool. They don't too. turn him into a bird or anything like that. No, <laughs> the, gods, uh, the gods sometimes do that. They do that. Yeah, you're Especially a tree or you're a bird uh, or you know you're a the metamorphoses. Yeah, all kinds of people turn in all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that happens off stage. Um, Theseus gets that blessing, and Antigone and Ismene come back, and they ask for the blessings to return to Thebes, and Theseus allows it, and that battle that they're going off to is covered in. Um, uh, seven against Thebes, which I believe is Aeschylus that wrote that one. So it's not a Sophocles play, or at least not one that we have because most of his plays are, have not made it to us. Um, and then that's the end of the play. So he gets his reconciliation. He gets his honorable death and he gets to die as a blessing to others, not as a curse. Hmm. So what human, like if we're, this is humanities, it is meant to, for us to think about what we are in our human lives. Like when you read this, Thomas, what were the things that you were thinking about in terms of like our shared humanity? Were you thinking about, I don't know, well, well, like when you, what were you reflective on as you were reading this thing? And I, I don't have a totally cogent answer on this, but Sophocles is writing this in his dying days mm. and it is his reflections on death. Mm-hmm. A man who has made horrible mistakes. Mm-hmm. No one would have any questions about that, but wants to make those right before he dies, before his death. Um, so I think as with all of philosophy, it is a play about death, about dying well, that, um, we see the younger Oedipus, the King in the previous play, uh, fighting against his faith, uh, fighting against, fighting against his fate, fighting against destiny. But by this point he has come to accept it and understand that these things have happened and I did them. Um, but he's no longer raging as he was in the previous play. Mm. So coming to terms with failure coming to term with mistakes and then getting receiving a blessing for doing that. Um, yeah. So I, I, it's a play about dying. Mm, as I see it. Mm-hmm. And sort of coming to terms with it and yeah. Coming to terms with failure, the softening rage. of a man. Yeah, yeah. sure. So, yeah. But even, yeah, that's totally what it is. But in, in being softened, like, to be human and to receive and to have emotions, he is then ennobled again. And that's his final moment. I'm not saying softening is a negative thing. Right. Mm-hmm. I've, I've known men that during their young years were harsh and cruel and combative. And then as they grow, they realize that was folly yeah. and they grow soft towards those around them. And it, it ends up being a positive. I, I, I don't know if this is, um, what's the, the art that you choose? It has to be, what's the term for it? Surrealist? No, no. For the, um, podcast, um, oh. images, 
It's like open, so not open source. Uh, open, yeah, open. Creative Commons. Creative yeah, Commons. Creative so I don't know if this if this um, painting is Creative Commons, but there's a painting that's titled Oedipus at Colonus, and it you see the old man, and you see the like, um, the sorrow in his eyes of like I've done all these things, um, and just kind of the contemplation of that. This play has much less plot than Oedipus the King. And it's much more contemplative than mm-hmm. than that one. I don't know why I always have the association of Oedipus with like, especially old Oedipus, like these like old cowboys. For some reason, mm. there's just something about Oedipus wandering around the wilderness, mm. thinking about his younger days when he was raging and sort of swaggering around. There's just something very that I think it could be very easily translated into like a Western old cowboy kind of thing. I think sure. of like a you know an an angry softened. Um, you know, sheriff or who made mistakes or whatever. Or something, yeah, um, Unforgiven probably mm-hmm. being a great example of that. Mm-hmm. Um, someone who's trying to wrestle with um, their past. Mm-hmm. So that's very much what's happening here. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So that is Oedipus at Colonus. Uh, next and finally is Antigone. Um, and then we see where we go from there. There's always nice that like these plays also have the waiting in the wings. They've got the hero of the next age. Like no. uh, Oedipus, sad, horrible life. Uh, meanwhile, here's Theseus, and Theseus is like the shining, you know, up-and-coming guy who's going to ent- usher in a new golden age. So, um, I don't know, that's always very, uh, it's kind of like at the end of Annie, um, <laughs> where she uh, meets, what is it, like, uh, Teddy Roosevelt? <laughs> yeah, I, I told you all this, that I was Teddy Roosevelt in my first yes. Yeah, thank you. Or were you Teddy, is, is Teddy Roosevelt or uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt? Oh, FDR, you're right. It's Sorry. FDR. Sorry, yeah. Yeah. I don't know why it's, um, they do this at the end of, um, that really bad, uh, Disney, uh, newspaper musical, um, Newsies. Newsies? You think Newsies is bad? I don't think it's bad. I'm just, it's, you said really bad. Yeah. 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 It's kind of, uh, you don't like it, but isn't, isn't like Freddie, uh, isn't Teddy Roosevelt at the end of Newsies? I'm pretty sure he is. I don't know. I remember that. They're going to Santa Fe. Anyway, it just, that seems like a very Greek, uh, thing is like, you always have the next hero of the shining age sort of appear at the end of your story. Yeah. Um, which is what happens here mm-hmm. yeah. like telemachus at the end of the odyssey yeah. yeah 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 good all right okay what you got i have a commonplace and it's only loosely related because it talks about sophocles oh cool who wrote oh. your thing by yeah. the way the the picture on the cover of your book there do you know what painting that is i don't i can find it for you it's, i know it what must it is be with the sphinx so one oh. of them is the sphinx but there's another winged creature that there. painting mm-hmm. that you are looking at is called the enigma mm. And, well, I mean, translated, it's called The Enigma. And it's by a fellow named Gustav Doré, who also did... You're so cultured. ...illustrations for Dante's Inferno. He also did them for the scriptures. And they are beautiful illustrations. This is one of his paintings. He's also done a sculpture, too. And that is the third of three. Mm. And Mm. the first is an angel, I think, representing France or freedom, barring the door against those who would destroy france and she has her flag there and then in the second it is a it's called the dark eagle of prussia and it's Mm -hmm. this giant ominous black eagle shape above that same angel who now has her flag broken that is the third Mm -hmm. in the background what you see is a destroyed paris yeah uh in the foreground is is the angel of france we we think representing something and she is imploring the sphinx saying why essentially and if you look down you can see mothers holding their sons and cannon fire it's not an old painting it that is one of my favorite paintings Mm. because it has everything that's cool sphinx angel paris destruction cannons it's it's amazing (laughs) you as listeners should go look it up it's the enigma by gustav Doré, and then check out some of his other illustrations they're all beautiful he's an incredible artist you so cultured 
He's, yeah. And it's big and gray and oh, it's just the coolest painting. I, seen, they picked it, I think, because it has a sphinx. Right. And Oedipus loosely involves a sphinx. <laughs> it's it's really a loose connection there, but it's a really cool painting. Have you seen it in person? Yeah, it's cool. in the Musée d'Orsay in, cool. in Paris. It's that's gorgeous. Cool. I just like stumbled upon it one day and I was like, ooh, that's cool. <laughs> and then looked and it was Gustave Doré, who I knew from before. And I don't know, it's, it's cool. great. Here's my quote. Yeah. And this is from Plato. How well I remember the aged poet Sophocles when in answer to the question, how does love suit with age, Sophocles? Are you still the man you were? Peace, he replied. Most gladly have I escaped the thing of which you speak. <laughs> I feel as if I had escaped from a mad and furious master. His words have often occurred to my mind since, and they seem as good to me now as the time when he uttered them. For certainly old age has a great sense of calm and freedom when the passions relax their hold. Then, as Sophocles says, we are freed from the grasp of not one mad master only, but of many. Mm. The truth is, Socrates, that these regrets and also the complaints about relations are to be attributed to the same cause, which is not old age, but men's characters and tempers. For he who is of a calm and happy nature will hardly feel the pressure of age. But to him who is of an opposite disposition, youth and age are equally a burden. <laughs> and that's from Plato's Republic in book one. That's Isn't that good. cool? That's so good. listener, if you are caught in the throes of passion, you just need to not just not just age with time. Because you're still going to be a curmudgeon. Because you're still going to be th in the throes of passion, but you need to cultivate the soul. Mm. A calm and even disposition. That's right. But, isn't that a cool quote? That is a good quote. And we one. at Classical Stuff You Should Know are helping you with that, we hope. <laughs> We're, We're trying. We're yeah. trying. Yeah. So uh, you can tweet at us, at C-L-S-S-C-A-L stuff. Uh -huh. Tell us how calm your soul is in 170 characters or less or whatever it is. 140? 140. And they, they increased didn't they up it to like two, 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 two something? Right? Yeah. Oh. They doubled it? I thought they did. It's a lot of, they did. It's a lot of characters. Mm -hmm. yeah. A lot of characters on Twitter, folks. <laughs> And you can email us at classicalstuff at veritasacademy.net. You can check out our website, classicalstuff.net. Mm -hmm. All of those places are available to you. We will reply if you send us stuff. Do we have any classical stuff we got wrong today? We never make mistakes. Um, I was going to make an, a bad joke that actually Catherine oh. Ball's uh, yeah. and, uh, uncles were uh, uh, named Gaius and Titius, but I, decided, <laughs> but I decided not to. Yeah, I did actually get something wrong. Oh, oh. The, that... Fan fiction that I referred to was not Pokemon. Oh, oh. that was in this podcast. That was in this you podcast. Fact -checked this I, I fact-checked during the thing. It is. Don't take it personally, Megby. I, I am. Don't worry. It is called. Let's see. Uh, okay. It is called the Subspace Emissaries World Conquest, and it is a Super Smash Bros. work in progress <laughs> fan fiction. As of July, and I, I don't know when this article was written, uh, in 2013, so okay. it is oh, probably when? longer now. Five years ago. As of July, it was 3,548,000 words long. Jeez Louise. And Ridiculous. still working. I think it had a 60,000 word prologue mm -hmm. and introduction. That's insane. It is ridiculously long. And let me read to you the very first words mm. of this fan fiction. <laughs> yes. It had been a long battle for survival, mm. but he managed to stop the imbeciles from defeating him for real. <laughs> that is the beginning of one of the longest works of fiction ever made by humankind. Is it Pokey or Pokemon? Pokemon. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. I'm not sure. Pokemon? Lingu any linguists out there can tweet at us. I think it's Poke because Poke. Pokey is, is kind a, of Pokemon. Pokemon. And it's Pokemon. Po Poke. <laughs> Pokemon. It's like, yeah. Anyway. And I'm On glad we're note, done with that. Yeah, so that, 
This is AJ, Bees, and Graham signing off. Thanks for listening, and we'll holla at you next Bye. time. Bye. Bye. Do you know if I was a Pokemon, all I would say is, Graham, Graham, Graham. <laughs> bees would be a better one. Bee. He could actually be a bee. Graham. AJ is not <laughs> a catchy. AJ. Graham. Graham. AJ. 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 AJ.